What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I am Ben Bolin. Ben, we've got another listener suggestion today that... Uh, it's going to blow your mind, Ben. Okay, I'm ready. This is from the same listener as we, we had last time, Fast Sandy. Dun, dun, dun. I know, two in a row for Sandy. Because turn. Remember I mentioned in that email that I read you know, in the last episode um, yeah. you know, with uh, Donald Campbell. Five um, good suggestions. Five good suggestions. Two of them made the cut. How about that? Nice. So, uh, so, Sandy, this is another one for you here. Um, this one is about uh, – she, she suggested that we talk about the Isle of Man TT – Mm-hmm. And um, I know that we've talked about this in a uh, kind of an offhand way a long, long time ago. We've touched on it in one of our earlier episodes on – it's come up before a couple times, but we most directly touch on it when we were talking about some non-car races, I believe. Yeah, yeah, because they, uh, they, they're well known for this uh, this tourist trophy race. Mm-hmm. and That's uh, what and, the TT stands for, everybody. Exactly. Isle of Man Tourist Tour. Exactly. And uh, there's, there's a lot going on around this whole event that happens there. It's not just like one race or anything like that. Right. Uh, this is a big-time event, really big. And uh, it's actually got a long, long history. Isn't that right? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, the first time we see this racing at the Isle of Man is in 1904. Yeah, incredible, isn't it? Now, I think... Now, those were cars, that's though. A, yeah, I was going to say. I those think are that, cars. That's think, just racing. But that's... Okay. I guess I can just say this early on here, because mm-hmm. we're talking about car racing in 1904. Those roads don't look like they're made for more than one car to be on, on that line. They're, they're narrow, narrow roads. On this, and these on are this. public roads. Yeah, very public roads. So so let's just say this early on, is that I cannot believe that even at, at any point they raced cars on the on these roads. Um, <laughs> it just seems too narrow. Well, but, um, yeah. Again, 1904 was the first car race on the Isle of Man. And 
at that time, it was like a 52-mile track. They're, they raced on what they call the Highland Course. There's actually four courses that we'll talk about. Right. Um, they did five laps, so it was like 250 miles, something like that, 255. Um, it, took them, <laughs> it took them seven and a half hours, Ben. Yeah. Seven and a half hours. And, I mean, this is a twisting, winding road, road course. Um, the average speed was somewhere around 30 miles per hour for that initial car race. Yeah, hold on to your petticoats. <laughs> 30 miles an hour. Now, again, <laughs> 1904, monocles. come on. I mean, yeah, it's that, pretty good. Really. That is really good. I mean, I'm was, sorry. I'm, I'm being a jerk about that, it. No, that is really right. good for the time. And then, honestly, they, they, they jumped up the next year to uh, to motorcycle racing. Right, mm-hmm. so yes. they had the International Motor Motorcycle Cup race in 1905, mm-hmm. and um, I don't think the speeds were much faster than what the cars were really. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> this is kind of strange. Um, and then it was 1907 before they got to the first actual what what they call the TT, the Tourist Trophy race. Yes. So this race, this this race that we're going to talk about here today, dates all the way back to 1907, which is incredibly long history for a race. I mean, they've had they've held you know. Counting for uh, World War One, right? World War Two, also, and you know any other mishaps that you know have have led to not holding this race. They've had ninety three races. They've held ninety three races as of last year, which is astonishing. It's amazing. That's an awful long run. Um, so I, I think we also touched on this uh, this topic when we talked about sidecar racing. Yes, we did, didn't I, we? I really think we had had to have mentioned it because yeah. that is a uh, it's a dramatic event to watch. I'll tell you that. And for many, many, many years, the Isle of Man TT is regarded as the premier motorcycle racing event in the world. Sure, and it's strange that now when you've checked out the official website. Didn't you think it was strange that they used that line a couple times? For many years, it was considered the most prestigious you know, motorcycle race in the world. I think it might still be. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't keep up with the motorcycle racing. You and I are not riders. We should just get that out. Right. We're out not front. bikers. We're not bikers. So, um, you know, a lot of this is just, you know, our kind of fanboy appreciation of, of what's going on here because it's really cool to watch. Well, I talked um, to some of but, my friends who were British bike fans. Yeah. And they, they, they were telling me some cool stuff. All right. All right. So, you know what? I, I'd say it might be the most widely known. Maybe. I don't know if it's like the, the biggest event that's held anymore, but it's got to be close. I mean, okay, let, let's get this, yeah, yeah. It, this location out of the way. Cause Isle of Man, it's not an easy place to get to, really. Uh, yes. UK listeners, please do bear with us. Um, so where's the Isle of Man, Scott? <laughs> it is in the middle of the Irish Sea. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's right between Ireland and the United Kingdom, um, and it's about it's a, not a huge island. It's not, like it's about what, 220 square miles. Um, I, it just seems it's only got like a population of I think about 85,000 people, and but then again for this race event that happens, when the race happens, tens of thousands of people. Just swarm this island with uh, with all kinds of you know tourism dollars ready to spend, mm-hmm. and uh, the motorcycle racing is really really intense. And this is not a one day event. This is a multi, I guess a multi race event, multiple classes, multiple records. And just to be clear, we're not going to delve into those too deeply in this episode. No, no. Uh, we are going to just sort of set the stage for this in case you would like to go um and we'll we'll tell you how to go if you still can i've got i gotta say this ben What's I, that? I think that 
this this may be more than anything we've covered in in recent in the recent past. Yeah, this is something someone just has to see to even believe. Yeah, we're going to be talking a lot about some stuff that you should really so check the, out. The sights, the sights and sounds and, and just the, the feeling of, of the, the air around that place when this is happening is yeah. amazing. It's, it's, uh, and it's not, like you said, it's a lot of classes. It's not just one race. Right. Um, this, this thing actually, it's like a, it's, it's now become a festival. Um, nine days. Nine right? days. That's right. And actually, I, I think that this year's event is even longer than that. I think it's something like thirteen days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, anyways, okay. So we're, we mentioned the location. It's actually the race is held on public roads. It's a road course. Yes. Um, and it's just known on this island since 1907 that you know during that week or two weeks, this is what life is going to be all about: is motorcycle racing, and like this, it or not. This is a cool little historical twist here because uh, the way the story goes in the turn of the 20th century, uh, the English government, I'll be on the mainland there, mm-hmm. uh, would not allow public roads to be closed for motor racing. Fair enough. So the Isle of Man government, which, mm. uh, which is a bit different there, uh, changed the laws a little bit so that you could close public roads. For motor racing. I would assume that was good for tourism. I, it still is. I yeah. mean, that's still, uh, that's a great idea. That was like a 105-year-old uh, great idea, you <laughs> yeah. know, that, that uh, has just carried on since then, really. Well, great ideas age like wine. Uh, yeah, that's right. So this this road course is, it's really, I mean, it's fantastically unique is, is probably the best way to say it. I like um, that. It's, it's amazing. It's uh, it, it was once part of a, uh, a different series. It was once part of the Motorcycle Grand Prix World Championships that were run until about the late 70s. I think it was from like 1949 until uh, late 70s, 76. Uh-huh. Uh, but then there were safety concerns with that race, and then we'll talk about that for sure. Okay. Um, and then um, then it was part of the TT Formula One Championship, uh, the motorcycle series, which was run uh, from the following year, 1977, until about 1990. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since, uh, this is the overlap here, which is kind of weird, since about eight, 1989, uh, the Olive Man Department of Tourism has run this race as a uh, as a festival, and yeah. that's why we get this. Uh, you know, so it's not just you know a weekend event. It's not just you know maybe a, a set of races that happen on a, a particular Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, it becomes a, a you know two week uh, grand happening on the island. I mean, it brings in people from all over the world. It brings yeah. in race teams that are that are world renowned. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best, the best drivers, uh, riders. I don't. I guess you call them riders. Yeah. Um, just the most amazing machines that you've ever seen. I mean, it's really, really incredible to watch, and the the variety of series that they run is pretty cool too. Because we mentioned sidecar. Yeah. Um, uh, that that had to be that had to be one of the coolest things to watch. So people who listen to our sidecar episode may recognize Dave Molino and Molino and Pete Hill. Um, they. Uh, were the first sidecar crew to lap at over 110 miles per hour, and uh, gosh, that's an average speed. An average speed of 110. Yeah. So, uh, and and this course is what? It's like 37 and a half miles, 38 miles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's an incredible speed. So their lap time was 20 minutes, 23.4 seconds. Whoa, that's pretty. That that's is, pretty hot. That's ridiculously yeah. fast. And uh, I do want to say something about that when we get to uh, when we get to let's just get to it. Why, let's why get, just get let's, to the race itself. We're there because I was trying again. You know, I mentioned in the last one. I was I was on my way to work, and again, I'm thinking about the same thing. I'm thinking like, what makes this so 
unique? What makes what? Yeah. You know, I always think about this. I think about today's podcast on my way into work. Like, what what else can I add to this to make it more interesting, or or what what sparked my interest in the whole thing, right? Yeah. And I was thinking, like, what makes this so different from other motorcycle races? Why is it so? Uh, you know, why is it so? Um, unique? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Unique. What makes it fantastically what makes it, what unique? What makes it stand out, really? Yeah. Um, there are three things. First, it has long history. We mentioned, you know, from 1907 until today. That's that's amazing. Um, the setting is probably the, the the biggest factor here, the, the key factor in this whole thing. It's if you haven't seen the Isle of Man course, and I, I've hinted at it just when you're talking about cars. Um, it is an extremely narrow street. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the roads that these things held on. Remember, public roads. Very much uh, so. Very twisting roads. And it's lined with things like stone walls. It's got buildings. You know the, the type of town where the buildings go right up to the edge of the street? Yep. And there's no there's no curb. There's, there's no, not like an extra lane for parking. There's no anything. sidewalk or anything like that in some areas. Um, so there are buildings there. There are trees. There are mailboxes. Mm-hmm. The course is lined with people. Yeah, um, a lot of people there, actually. When you get out into the countryside parts of this this course, there are cliffs mm-hmm. that uh, have you know just rocky cliffs that are, I mean, on the outside edge of turns, which is the worst place. I mean, obviously the worst place for these cyclists to go off, um, and they do. Um, and I guess the 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 third thing here would be the danger aspect, which really plays into the setting. Yeah. Um, this is a this is an extremely extremely dangerous course to race on and you'll see that in the video you know for the, with the speeds that they're reaching yep. i mean we're talking well go ahead and tell us about the speeds man because they're okay. they're incredibly fast all right so uh one of the one of the best average speeds uh rider joseph mcginnis in a honda cbr uh hit 131.578 miles per hour average speed in 2009. So we're talking 130 there. Uh, there have been, as we said, there are a lot of categories here, right? So there's also, you know, the TT Superbike, the Junior TT or the Supersport. Um, these, these different classes yeah. and categories, uh, all have, let's just go ahead and say it. They all have speeds in excess or skirting toward um, 100 plus. Yeah, exactly. Now, you want to hear something kind of crazy? Yeah. My youngest brother, uh, this is this is the type of bike he rides on the street. He rides a CBR 1000 RR. Oh, yeah. Or he that's, did. I don't know if he... Exact which bike, is incredible. Yeah. I mean, now this one's race-tuned and everything, and my right. brother's bike's really fast, but, uh, oh, boy, that's a bad idea. So that's a lap time for John so, McGinnis. That's yeah, a lap exactly. time and of 17 minutes. That is so fast. That is incredibly fast. I mean, to, to average 131 yeah. and a half miles an hour on this course, when you see the course, you'll understand what I mean. And I, I We've got we, maps. We've, we've got maps, but maybe our listeners should check them out, too. Uh, man, it's just it's so amazing when you see the, uh, the rises and the falls in this course. Yeah. Um, they spend half of the race, it seems, with the front wheel in the air. Not, not that they're showing <laughs> off. But that they've just gone over a hill. I mean, that you you're not supposed to be going over this hill at 170. Um, yeah. You know, because we're talking. I mean, I now I know you said the average speed is 131 or something like 130. Right. But there are there are of course uh, parts that they'll take slower and take faster. Yeah, and by slower you mean like 130. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. 
It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It can also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time in range and lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the fastest will be, the, I mean, like in the 120 range, rather. The, yeah. uh, the fastest are going to be somewhere around the 200 mile an hour range, Ben. Yep. And I'm not studying, you know, I'm not making this up. They're ball, you know, right in the ballpark of 200 miles an hour, if not exceeding it at this point. On a motorcycle. On a motorcycle. On a road that was not meant to have motorcycles going 200 miles an hour. And this this road, this course that's been around since 1907, mm-hmm. as the speeds have increased, the danger has just grown exponentially every year, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of all the obstructions that I mentioned before. I mean, sure. the people, the mailboxes, the trees, all that stuff, parked cars. Um, it's very unforgiving if you uh, if you slide the bike, you know you're going to hit something. It may be a curb, it may be a, a mailbox, it may be maybe a, a cliff, maybe a tree, a cliff, whatever it happens to be. Um, did you know, Ben, that this has been called, and I, I'm not, this has been called the world's deadliest race. Yes, yes. Now, this is uh, an unfortunate part of this uh, this event is that um, since the beginning, since 1907. There have been something like 135 deaths in competition. Now, that's not, you know, that's. So that's not counting the off season where there's just somebody on a motorcycle. And 
it's not counting this other series that runs there. There's an amateur series. It's a, uh, um, an amateur Grand Prix series, uh, called the, is it Manix? Manix? Manx. Um, but if you count that series, 237 deaths since 2000, or since 1907, rather. Um, and that, that, that's averaging like two people a year that are killed on this course. Mm-hmm. So it's just part of, a part of what happens there. And again, this, this race has been kind of grandfathered in since 1907. Right. The speeds have increased. The course hasn't changed a whole lot. I mean, they've, they've changed some corners here and there. They softened some things. Sure. But, uh, for the, for the most part, it's the same course that was run in 1907. We've watched videos of of some of these horrific accidents that have happened. I mean, because you know the, the you know there's a lot of racing videos, a lot of crash videos. There's some that right. combine both, obviously. Yeah. And um, some of these riders, I mean, they're they're driving through the countryside and they slide the bike. The bike goes off one direction, tumbling. They go off another direction. They tumble. You know, they fly through the air. It's like a rag doll. Yeah. And they tumble over a brick wall that's out in the middle of this field, and the bike lands literally in the middle of a, a flock of sheep. And the ske- you know, the sheep scatter and you know, this is all taken from a helicopter that has no way of keeping up. The helicopter is falling far behind these guys in the countryside. They, they can't, they outrun the helicopter really, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's monitoring these or, or, you know, taping these for, for television. Um, but it's a very, very exciting race to watch. I mean, the, the videos that we watch, they're just adrenaline filled, right? And there are quite a few. Yeah. You can watch some. Excellent footage of this, and in a while we're going to tell you some stuff about uh, watching it in person if you'd like to do that. But first, one thing I, I, we do want to say, because we'd be remiss if we didn't, Scott, um, we're not saying – when we say that the track itself or the, the courses haven't changed as much as you would expect – well, we're not saying that they're stuck in 1904. The route may be the same, but there have been, you know, improvements like paving areas and stuff. Because during, um, you know, the infancy, like it, around the the pre 20s era or so, uh, the the road on the mountain was a cart track, and there were gates. You're talking that about like I would be on the road, like a horse cart. Yeah. Yeah, like oh my your, gosh, your or an, horse cart, an, an oxen cart, or something like that. That's <laughs> that's incredible that they would even attempt to run a race in an, in an environment like that. And they know? were, and as as uh, there was more work on the roads, like say, hey, let's unlock the gates. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm being facetious. <laughs> but as there was more work, um, of course, lap speeds are improving, and this is you know uh, is curtailed a little bit by uh, the outbreak of World War II. But our point is that there is continual infrastructure improvement, but is that enough to mitigate just the the tremendous difference in speed now? No, no. And you know what? I, I'm shaking my head the whole time yeah. now. It's, you know, the course has done really well. It's it's beautiful. It is it's, beautiful. It's really a beautiful yeah. scenery. It's setting. Um, we mentioned how deadly the race is and how dangerous it is. It's dangerous for spectators as well. Right. Um, because they, they do line this track, I mean, just about everywhere. I mean, through the mm-hmm. towns. There's the countrysides that we talked about, and I know that there yeah. are people out there somewhere, uh, but they're, f- you know, few and far between at that point. Um, but this is this is something that I, I think is maybe, maybe why it seems so fast. You know, the speeds are incredible. Right. And we talk about it being so ridiculous, you know, that how fast they're going. They're going this fast on, like, the MotoGP courses, too. Yeah. The thing is, 
they're out in, on a track that has, you know, soft barriers that are a long distance away from the track, and it's a nice wide track with a with a very carefully prepared surface. I see what you're saying. And, uh, you know, it's it's designed for high-speed turns. It's not designed, you know, for someone to, uh, to you know, head down to the, uh, to the, uh, the butcher shop, you know, and right. pick up their groceries or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's what, that's what the Olive Man roads are designed for. Um, <laughs> yeah, for the, uh, walk to the there, fishmongers. There's yeah. an, there's incredible sensation of speed on this track because of the surrounding environment. I mean, if you're driving through, if you're going down a, a, a lane of, of road that has trees overhanging it and everything all around you, you're going to get a, a greater sensation of speed if you're traveling at 50 miles an hour than you are if you're traveling 50 miles an hour in an empty parking lot. Absolutely. Um, and this, this track, this course, the circuit has so many things like that all around it at all times that, that, that I, I just don't even know how the, 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 the riders keep it straight in their brain. I mean, it seems like, it seems like it would be on like sensation overload. Yeah, they, the, which is why there are practice runs. Or sensory overload. Yeah, sensory overload. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's close. Uh, and of course, we should mention there's more than one course. There's more than one race course. Yeah. Uh, one of the first, like the first TT races, uh, were on the triangular course with a start at St. John's. Uh, and St. John's course is, um, you've got a map here, Scott. Yeah, I've got, there's actually four, right? Yeah, there are four courses. Okay. So St. John's is the first one. Yeah, yeah. And then there's also uh, the mountain course or okay. the mountain circuit. Yeah, and that's changed twice. Yeah, that's changed because this uh, this was one of the oldest. I think it's 1911. Is that correct? Uh, 1911, yeah. And that only hung the around. The, the, uh, this, this iteration of it only lasted for just three or four years. Yeah, it's um, short-lived. Very short-lived. So by like 1914, pre-World War I, right. uh, this was gone. Yeah, and then that's the not totally gone. It's just they changed it. They later. changed it to a different one. Yeah, and there's one other one here that's uh, that's a different one. It's called the uh, Clips. Is that mm, right? Yeah, Clips? yeah, the Clips course. The Clips course. All right, and that's uh, uh, they run like the lightweight races or the uh, the ultra lightweight races on this on this course. And uh, that was from that was in the 50s, I think, is when that one first originated. So yeah. there's four courses on the uh, on the island, or there, at least there were um, in one form or another, and they've changed throughout the years. But now they're racing on a uh, a race that they call the uh, course, rather that they call the mountain course, the mountain circuit. Yeah, yep. it's the old oh, mountain circuit, and it's what is it, 37 and a half or 38 mile course, something like that. Yes. And and it's uh, it's also um, it's according to of course the TT website and some reviews this is one of the most challenging uh, one of the most challenging courses any cyclist can take hmm. on. I would totally believe that. Now I would believe that it's one of the most challenging. I don't know. If I'm comfortable saying it's the most challenging, hmm, okay, because I, I am not a racing motorcyclist, but okay. uh, yeah, so these riders, um, 500 plus each year, so that's the TT races in June or the uh, 500 plus riders. Mm-hmm. Wow, that they arrive on Mona's Isle uh, to tackle the mountain circuit, and of course, um, this also counts the people arriving for the Grand Prix in August and September. And the uh, and the, the racers we mentioned, I think that they uh, they do about six laps or something like that in the top end. Um, some of them, I yeah. think there's actually there may just be some that are just a one one lap, um, like a time trial. You know that they uh, they go for what? Yeah, let's be clear. This is time trial racing. I'm glad you mentioned that because oh, yeah, we didn't yeah. say that before. I think that's important to note is that you know they don't all start at once. You know, right. it's not like there's a, there's someone waving a green flag at the beginning. They're not trying to edge each other out or no. bump or anything. No, although. 
they do somehow bunch up, you know, once they get out into the countryside, you know, the faster riders will overtake the slower riders. Right. If you can imagine, you know, someone being slow at 170 out in the countryside, right. um, that's slow to these guys. You know, the, the driver or the rider racing at 190 is going to overtake him, you know, in a matter of miles. So uh, there is some passing that happens. Yes. Uh, it's very, very dangerous when it does happen. When they get together, I mean, the footage is incredible. You can see it. It's also terrifying. Yeah, and let's let's also point out that when you look at the way this course is set up, the routes that are taken uh, and the risk that are taken safety-wise, uh, one of the questions is, and I, I'm not in any way trying to lessen the impact of the deaths that have occurred in mm-hmm. the in these races, but one of the big questions here is why aren't there more deaths and that's uh the reason there there are few in comparison to the difficulty of this course is that the people who are riding this are experts yeah world's best yeah like uh joey dunlop uh won six consecutive formula one tts yeah uh in the he, he's won there 26 times uh total yeah, I mean, in in all, um, you know, he uh, he died in two thousand. Yes, um, he passed so, away. So yeah, I mean, he died in in a crash in a race in uh, where was that? Estonia, I think, is where it was. Mm-hmm. I believe um, so. But for him to uh, to win this race, win this thing outright twenty six times, that's that's amazing, and he's definitely way on the top in the uh, in the. Uh, the the race records as far as like the number of wins. I think the only one behind him is the guy that set the fastest lap. Is that uh, oh uh, uh, John McGinnis? John McGinnis, yeah, and he's uh, he's up there with something like nineteen or twenty wins at this point. Yeah, so he's he's moving up. And there's also uh, other great racers such as Mike Halewood, uh, Philip McCallan. Uh, this this really is a place where um, you can see some living legends race, mm-hmm. and uh, if. If you uh, are cool with it, I'd like to talk a little bit about how people can see this. Uh, you know, I've got something that maybe I should mention before this. Yeah, what is it? How maybe you can ride in it yourself. Uh, oh, yes. Oh, totally. I know. There's one. I there's, forgot about there's that. There's one day of this whole festival that is that's a standout day for the fans. Mm-hmm. And it is probably, I mean, it's got to be Mad Sunday. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so you read about Mad Sunday, right? Right. Okay, so Mad Sunday is uh, is th- this is insane. Let's say you want to race, but you're no Joey Dunlop. <laughs> That's right. This is it's a tradition. I mean, uh, member. This is a this is a day when the members, uh, just members of the general public, can give it a go on the race course. Yep. And uh, now I'm I'm a bit confused about this, Ben, because um, you know it sounds all crazy. Like you're able to to ride on uh, on Mad Sunday on this track. I don't understand this, but there there are speed limits, I guess, that are enforced during Mad Sunday, because there's a there's a report of uh, you know I was reading this article where an, um, I think it was an inspector, an officer said um, that you know these limits are going to be enforced and antisocial riding or driving will not <laughs> be tolerated, not be tolerated. Um, they expect respect for the island and the uh, and the roads for the island, yeah. and said that they're going to find hand out fines of two hundred pounds. Uh, your license could be endorsed. I'm not sure exactly what that means. Um, I would guess suspended in some, in some way. And um, you also face possible prison time if you're caught speeding on Mad Sunday. Now, that didn't make any sense to me because... It's a race course. And, and for it to be called Mad Sunday and it's a race course, maybe they had set some, you know, really high limit that, you know, if you exceed that, you know, maybe it's 100 miles an hour. I don't know. Well, rules 
rules like that, and this might be verging on a little bit of life advice too here. Okay. Rules like that never really come into place unless something bad has happened that made them necessary. I see. You know, so it's it's probably a little bit of um, a little bit of CYA cover your uh, assets. I would (laughs) (laughs) I would have to believe that there have been some mad Sunday deaths as well. Absolutely. Um, Because, again, if it's just a member of the general public, we're not saying anything bad about a member of the general public. But racing is a set of skills, not to quote taken too hard. Have you ever seen that movie, Scott? I have not. Oh, are you kidding? No. Liam Neeson, Taken. I'm, it's a, it's cool. I'll check it out. All right. Well, if it's racing is a specific set of skills, and uh, it's much more dangerous to be racing with people who do not have those skills. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't be surprised. At Understood. All. Yeah. And so there's some hero on a Vespa that's trying to cut through traffic, <laughs> and, uh, and and then look what happens, right? Yes. Check okay. out our Vespa podcast if you guys <laughs> want to hear more about those. Gotcha. Um, so another thing that is really interesting about this is that with the uh, tourism board taking over and creating a full-on festival, uh, there's been expansion in infrastructure. And should you decide to travel to the Isle of Man to witness one of the most prestigious motorcycle races going on the planet, uh, you have a wealth of options. Um, it does help to be wealthy as well, but you'll want to plan in advance. Now, Scott, we've got the dates, right, for the 2013 Isle of Man? Uh, yes, we do. I think it goes from, um, is it May 25th through June 7th mm-hmm. of 2013? So it's a, it's a long, it's a long event, actually. I mean, that's what, 13 days? Yeah. And the great. tickets are selling like hotcakes. They're selling like gangbusters. Yeah, get to the site and, uh, and check it out. They've got an official website for the Isle of Man TT, uh, you know, event, the mm-hmm. tourist trophy race. And um, I, I tell you, they've got a countdown clock going. There's forums there. There's a gallery. There's uh, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of information, history about the place, um, just anything and everything you want to know. And you know, like you mentioned, where you can stay. Um, right. You know, and that'll be something you want to plan in advance. There are also viewing platforms and grandstand seating. Mm-hmm. They've expanded the uh, fan zone area, which is where a lot of people will be staying and uh, where they'll be hanging out during this. Uh, be safe, because that, uh, I swear to you, I've, I'm watching these videos. We've been watching a lot of videos of this race, yeah, right? Yeah, And I swear, some of these, these people that are taking the the, the, uh, the camera shots, they're in the worst spot possible. On the outside <laughs> edge of the corner, you know, right where right where they would slide in. And, I mean, you can hear these things approaching from what seems like miles away. Uh-huh. They sound like angry bees coming towards you, hornets coming towards you. And yeah. then... Just as fast as they appear, they're gone. It's that quick. And I mean, I think it, you know, I, I keep thinking like, oh, I hope this doesn't end badly. You know, like when the person turns their camera and looks the other way, you know, as to follow, to follow a motorcycle past, right. I'm just, I, I was wishing that somebody was watching behind them. Not that that's going to do any good because the speeds are talking. So it would happen so quickly. It would happen so fast that there's nothing you could do about it. So just be careful and, you know, choose your vantage point wisely. So uh, we've got some late breaking news here. Uh, if you, this is from a report on the tickets for 2013. Okay. Um, I'm going to quote here. If you still fancy getting a piece of the 2013 Isle of Man tourist trophy, you better hurry, as the last tickets for the new fan zone will most likely sell like crazy the instant they're available. They were released on February 18th, I believe. So tickets for all four. 
2013 race days um, were sold out last year by July. Um, those for the final practice session on May 31st uh, have just been sold out too. So they're opening in time for they're opening this fan zone area, expanding it an extra 280 seats uh, for the final two practice sessions on May 30th and 31st. That's not many. That is not going to suit demand, but you know what? If we're familiar with the law of supply and demand, I think that's going to be an excellent problem for the Isle of Man tourism yeah. board. They can only hold so many people, right? It's an yes. island. It is an island. And um, I don't know. That's what I've got. I, I would love to hear more about ideally some people who have actually participated in the Isle of Man tourist trophy. Yeah. Um, gosh, I don't know if our bosses are listening, but uh, I – Sure would love to go out there and just film. That would know? be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Maybe we could field a uh, motorcycle sidecar uh, team, a How Stuff Works team. Yeah. I think we've talked about this already. We have. Yeah. We okay. have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who would be the monkey? Oh, man. You know what? I can do the monkey. Or if we're – or <laughs> so dangerous. Or if we want to take it easy, we could go – because, again, we're not bikers. We could get um, one of the pro – uh, cyclist to just do like a two sidecar thing. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That and is you know ridiculous. I, I think honestly, I, I think just talking about this makes me want to go watch some sidecar racing from the Isle of Man. It's so uh, just incredible. It, it blows your mind to see what they do, especially the stationary cam views. Yeah. Again, there's cool because you really get a sense of the speed. Oh yeah, I'm gonna. I'm really gonna have to go watch some of this. While you're watching that, I have a uh, something I think you might want to check out, Scott. What's that? Well, you know, we are um, checking out Netflix. We have a bit of a Netflix movie club going on, and I found something that I, that certainly interested me. I lost some time watching it today, as a matter of fact, and uh, that may interest our listeners and you as well. How much do you know about armored cars? Uh, just Well, you know what? We had a podcast about armored cars. So we know, know a, a little bit. A fair amount, you know I would fair say. Amount. Sure. There is a 2009 documentary called The Science of Armored Cars. Armored cars are tough enough to resist an onslaught of gunfire, fast enough to evade ambush, and strong enough to repel ammunition strike back. But how do you build them? So uh, this documentary talks about how you build these. I didn't know this, but there are less than 20 uh, licensed armored car makers in the United States. Less than 20? I think it's less than 20. I would have guessed 10 times that amount. Right. I, no kidding. I, I don't know why I thought there would be that many more, but uh, that's interesting. Plus, I mean, this is really cool. What a cool topic. Yeah, and we were checking. I was checking this out because we have done some stuff that touches on armoring vehicles. If we did an armored vehicle episode, we've checked out tanks. We've talked about the president's limousine and all of the mm-hmm. deceptively – uh, well, all of the, all of the amazing stuff behind that deceptively simple exterior. So here's probably the same or similar information, but just uh, with a visual. Yeah, yeah and so. you can see you can get a firsthand look at how these uh, things are built, the types of armor used, or the types of strategies used to uh, make these vehicles. Whether they're um, building one out of whole cloth or um, building additions onto a model of a you know a civilian car or something yeah. uh and i i think this is fascinating because it reminds me a lot about custom coach building oh very much very much i mean uh, this is exactly the same thing really i mean you're just building the the exterior shell mm-hmm. um but this 
I think one of the coolest things about this is maybe the history. I hope they go into the history on this, uh, in this, in this film. Uh, because remember we, we talked about the history of these and, and some of the, the images that we looked at during that. Some of them are comical. Yeah, some of them pretty uh, wild. But, uh, but very functional. So, uh, I, I, I don't know. I hope it goes into that. I'm going to check it out though, for yeah. sure. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It can also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time and range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so we hope that you enjoy this. We'd also like to hear what you think about other uh, Netflix movies we have recommended or especially if you have a recommendation for us. And Scott, did you see uh, one of our listeners wrote to us about world's worst drivers or worst car accidents? I did, yeah. Remember that? Yeah, they killed um, the whole afternoon, I think, or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That one... (laughs) That one's pretty rough yeah. to watch. Yes, but uh, if you would, if you're more into the science end of this sort of stuff, then you will enjoy the science of armored cars. And Scott, that is 
all I've I've really got at this point. I'm just so ready to fanboy out on the Isle of Man oh, tourist yeah, trophy. Yeah. Thanks, Sandy, for sending that in for a suggestion, and uh, hope we did it justice. At least got some people's interest peaked in the uh, in the thing. And and you know, if you haven't watched any video of it, please do because it's really it's it's amazing. It's it's you can't tear your eyes away from it. It's, it's incredible. I, I swear, at the end when they're on the you know on the uh, on the podium, yeah, I think they're just congratulating the people that they're still alive. That, uh, that they've made it through that at that type of speed. It's, I, I'm convinced that's what they're doing. They're just saying, uh, we're glad to see you back again. <laughs> we didn't think you were going to make it, but we're glad. Oh, gosh. What a surprise. Yeah. 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 Um, didn't think we'd see you again. Well, we would love to hear from other listeners uh, because it makes our day when we get a good suggestion from a listener and we can read it on air. So if you would like to be the inspiration for an upcoming Car Stuff episode, uh, feel free to drop us a line on Facebook, uh, give us a holler on Twitter, or just send us an email. Our email address is carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Compatibility. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.